This is Law in the Time of COVID-19. I'm Adam Goldenberg. What's it like becoming a lawyer during a global pandemic? Across North America, bar examiners are struggling to adapt to circumstances in which in-person exams may not be possible. Across Canada, paid articling positions were already in short supply before the economy shut down. Now, law students are facing the most jittery job market since the Great Recession a decade ago. On this episode, I'll speak with two of my colleagues, one of them a bencher of the Law Society of Ontario, the other an incoming articling student who has just written the Ontario bar exams, about what lawyer licensing looks like now and about how we can do it better in the post-pandemic world. Law in the Time of COVID-19 explores the law and policy of pandemic response. We're looking at how governments, organizations, and individuals are managing the impact and meeting the moment. And because it wouldn't be a law firm podcast without a disclaimer, here's a disclaimer. McCarthy Tatro is providing this podcast as a public service, if we do say so ourselves. It may contain legal information, but it does not contain legal advice or a legal opinion, recommendation, or statement of policy of McCarthy Tatro. Here's our episode, Raising the Bar. Depending on whom you ask, bar exams can be an important rite of passage for law school graduates, a crucial means of protecting the public from incompetent lawyers, or an anachronistic, inequitable waste of time and effort on the part of professional regulators and prospective lawyers alike. Articling attracts a diversity of opinions, too. Is it really necessary for a law school graduate to spend 10 months apprenticing in a law office before they become a lawyer, particularly when their so-called apprenticeship might actually be unpaid and might actually involve a lot more about learning how to use the office photocopier and coffee maker than about learning how to practice law? Debates about bar exams and articling are nothing new, but they've taken on new urgency during the COVID-19 pandemic. In-person bar exams have been postponed or moved online. Law graduates with childcare obligations or who care for aging relatives or who lack broadband internet access or a quiet place to study are at a disadvantage compared to their more privileged or at the very least childless peers. Meanwhile, some U.S. states, Utah, Washington, Oregon, and Louisiana so far, have introduced so-called diploma privilege on a temporary basis. Diploma privilege entitles law school graduates to be admitted to the bar and licensed to practice law by virtue of having obtained a law school diploma, without having to pass any bar exams. Diploma privilege isn't a new idea. It was relatively common in the United States at the turn of the last century, and it's been around for in-state law graduates in Wisconsin since 1870. Even within Canada, the process of accrediting lawyers differs by jurisdiction, and it has evolved over time. Many provinces require law graduates to attend professional education courses, or bar school, either in addition to or instead of the bar exams. Ontario got rid of its bar admission course in the 2000s, and today requires candidates to pass two lengthy bar exams and then to article in a law office for 10 months. All of this is supposed to ensure that the people we license to practice law meet a basic standard of competence, 
and thus to protect the public. But there wasn't consensus on how best to do this before the pandemic began, and there certainly isn't now. Ontario moved its bar exams online this summer. We'll hear about what it was like to write them online later in this episode. British Columbia has moved most, but not all, of its lawyer licensing programs online, too. Law societies in other jurisdictions have responded similarly. But even if law graduates can complete required courses and write and pass exams online, many of them are still scrambling to find articling positions because of COVID-19. Paid work has evaporated as lawyers and law firms have struggled to stay afloat in a turbulent economy. And if you look down the pike, you'll see thousands of law students continuing to march toward the finish line of their legal education. What will happen when they get there? To help us understand the present and future of lawyer licensing in the time of COVID-19, I spoke to two of my McCarthy Tatro colleagues. Atricia Lewis is a senior litigation associate based in Toronto. She's also a bencher, that is, an elected director, of the Law Society of Ontario, which regulates the legal profession in Canada's largest province. Gurvier Sanga is a 2020 graduate of the University of Toronto Faculty of Law and an incoming articling student in the Toronto office of McCarthy Tatro. We spoke on Wednesday, August 5th. Atricia, Gurvier, thank you both for joining me. Thank you with for you. having us. Let me start with you, Gurvier, because you have just written one of the two bar exams in Ontario, and you have another one still to write at the time that we're recording this. How's that going? It's been an interesting process, Adam. So COVID-19 has shaken up the licensing exams in some pretty significant ways. I'll go into exam preparation first. And what I would say is that the exams are substantially similar in terms of how you prepare, but the big difference is the amount of time that candidates now have with the materials. So depending on when a candidate's exam is scheduled, their solicitor exam may be taking place six to eight weeks later than the original scheduled date in June. So in theory, candidates have a greater amount of time to engage with the materials. With that being said, however, I would be remiss to not acknowledge the impact that COVID-19 has had on candidates' well-being. So yes, candidates may have had more time to prepare, but they may also have acute mental health uh, issues regarding COVID's impact on their employment, housing, finances, or even just the virus itself. So just to give us some more perspective on what you're talking about when you say more time to prepare, when I wrote the bar exams, you registered with the Law Society, you went up to Old Osgood Hall in downtown Toronto, and they gave you a big package of materials that you were responsible for reviewing and that you were allowed to bring into the exam. Uh, and you would spend the next couple of weeks or months reviewing them, highlighting them, tabbing them, creating an index so that you would be able to find material quickly when you got to a particular question. So what, are you saying that the extension of the time between when the materials became available and when the exams were actually administered has led to candidates having more time to work with those materials? That's exactly right. So I would say the experience of you know creating an index, tabbing the materials, highlighting ad nauseum, all of that has remained the same. Uh, the big difference was that the exams were initially pushed back to August or in the fall um, tentatively, and then they were moved to July as the proposed starting date. So at the very least, candidates had uh, up to a month uh, in terms of uh, an extension for the barrister exam. 
And then the solicitor exam, all of them are taking place in August. They're underway right now. So they're occurring at least six weeks later than they were originally scheduled. But we all received the materials at the time that okay. they were meant I, I to I have go vivid out. memories of becoming an expert for a very brief period of time in how to convey a cottage property from one owner to another, which I thought was a surprising feature of the bar exam materials. I mean, a lot of lawyers have cottages. I'm not sure that most Ontarians whom we serve as clients do. Has the substance of the materials changed at all in relation to the COVID-19 reality in which the current exams are being administered? No, the materials themselves are exactly um, as they would have been if we were in a pre-COVID world. What the significant difference is with respect to the exams being administered now, however, is that they're occurring online. And so we're no longer required to go to a, a convention center and have a picnic table and, you know, uh, work alongside other test takers. But then the second difference also, which is quite no noteworthy, is that the exam has been reduced by three hours in length and by 120 questions. So it's a much shorter exam, but substantively it, it is the same. Okay. And what was the online writing experience like? How did the platform work? Were there any glitches? Yeah. So from my personal experience, I had a tech hiccup the night before uh, regarding my internet connectivity. But I would say generally that writing online appears to be a superior experience because candidates don't have to travel to a conference center and they don't have to write alongside other test takers. Of course, as you mentioned, moving online does introduce the possibility for tech disruptions. And we also have to recognize that writing at home may not be possible or suitable for candidates, particularly those with uh, care obligations for children right. or parents. I, I remember when I wrote the New York bar exam, this would have been a number of years ago now, there was a software program that everyone had to download in order to do the exam uh, electronically, not through the internet, but you sat in a big conference room and you entered your answers into the computer. And then that evening, the way it was supposed to work is everybody's exam answers were supposed to be securely uploaded to the server and then the bar examiners could mark them once they had received them in this secure online format. But there was a big glitch and people's exams didn't get uploaded as quickly as they were supposed to. And I remember being one of the people sitting there refreshing until late at night. And this was a two-day bar exam and the two days were consecutive. So I had, I had to go back and write more exam the next day. And people were absolutely beside themselves with terror that their exams weren't going to reach the bar examiners. And it ended up being fine for everybody. I think there might have been a class action lawsuit that I might be entitled to 25 cents in a settlement for or something. But I wondered when I saw that Ontario was going to online, whether there were people holding their breath that maybe something was going to go sideways. It sounds like it didn't, though. I would say from perspective of someone that had a fairly seamless experience, uh, it appears to be the case that it's been a positive one across the board. Um, as far as the administration of the exam goes, the platform seems secure. I haven't had any tech hiccups and I haven't heard of other students having hiccups with the platform itself. Uh, that said, there were some scheduling and logistical issues, most recently with some solicitor exam writers being told that their exam date wasn't scheduled, so a proctor wasn't available. Can you tell me more about that situation? How has that been handled from the point of view of test takers? It's, of course, a, a point of great stress for test takers to find out that, you know, if you were scheduled to write it at 11 a.m. and now your date's in limbo, you're not quite sure what to do. Uh, I will say that the Law Society of Ontario's partner for the administration of exams does seem pretty receptive in terms of making accommodations on short notice. 
and writers that had issues yesterday that I'm aware of were accommodated in fairly short order. Now, Tricia, speaking of the Law Society of Ontario, you've been involved on the regulator side in making some of these on-the-fly adjustments that have led to the uh, lawyer licensing process looking like it now does in this COVID-19 environment. Hearing Gervier's experience, are you surprised that his experience has been what it has been? And what can you tell us about the decision-making that the Law Society went through in coming up with the process that he's now in the middle of? You know, speaking on behalf of, you know, the Law Society and, and being a bencher, being involved in this, we were faced with a situation where public gatherings were basically canceled. And even before that happened, it wasn't responsible for us to have, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people in a, in a massive area to write an exam together. So, you know, we're mindful of that. And then also mindful of the fact that people, you know, have timelines, they have job opportunities that are, you know, articling is about to start, and they want to write their bar exams before they start to article and, and the scheduling of their lives has been, you know, scheduled for well in advance of writing the bar exam. So, we needed to to move on the fly and provide an option for licensing candidates that was responsive to COVID, but also still gave people an opportunity to get licensed in a timely fashion. So, you know, I don't, I didn't expect it to be a perfect seamless process, just given the number of test takers and, and how quickly everyone had to move, but I'm happy that it went as smoothly as possible. I will say, you know, one of the things Gerber talked about was the moving to the at-home format. And, you know, it's an interesting from even an access perspective, because before you had to travel to one of the test taking centers, and I believe there were three, maybe Gerber, you you can correct me if I'm wrong. But for a lot of people in in lots of different remote locations across the province, um, or not even remote locations, but just not in those um, specific test taking locations, you know, there was a cost associated with making those travel arrangements, being in a new place outside of your comfort zone. So there is some advantage, I think, for certain people in terms of having the option of of writing the exam from home. Do you think, based on that development and that reflection, that this might be an option that the Law Society continues to make available, either for everybody or for people who want it in future years? I'm not sure about that, to be honest. I think that's still something that's up for debate. All the decision-making that we've made to date has been in the context of COVID. So no decisions have been made with a view to some permanence. I think a big issue, frankly, is costs. So, you know, running these online exams are not cheap. They seem like they would be smooth and easy to do, and they are, but they come at a significant cost. And so, you know, I don't know if the economics makes sense to offer it to some candidates and not have the scale that we're doing it right now. Like, I just don't know the answer to those questions. And I think the answers to those questions will really inform whether or not they're offered online in the future after a COVID world. Right. Speaking of after a COVID world, we, we speak of necessity as being the mother of invention. Ontario is a bit of an outlier within Canada, at least, in terms of requiring lawyer licensing candidates to sit these two long exams as basically the sum total of getting called to the bar, apart from the articling requirement, which is consistent across the country, more or less, and graduating from a law program or getting a certificate of qualification from the National Committee if you went to a law school outside Canada, when it became evident that it wasn't going to be responsible or even possible to get all of these lawyer licensing candidates in a big conference room together to write the bar exams this summer, 
and I know you can't give us the full blow by blow of the discussion within convocation because these were these were confidential discussions. But has there been any suggestion to the law society that maybe when we're dealing with this new reality, now's the time to reconsider these big exams as the lawyer licensing gateway altogether? Again, the decision making, and and I think you know, and I think it would be irresponsible for us to use this as a way to fundamentally rethink how we govern. Because, you know, we do need a lot more input and data and research and consultation before we would make a fundamental decision like that. So the decision making was very much with a view of just short term needs. But, you know, I I think Ontario is different than other jurisdictions. We have a bar exam, we don't have a bar admission course that a lot of other jurisdictions in Canada have. And part of the reason we don't have that is because it just costs too much money with the scope. You know, we have about 6,000 new licensees every year. Um, No other province has that many. So it's one thing to administer a bar admission course program when you've got a couple hundred new lawyers each year. And a different thing when you're talking about the scale of Ontario. So, you know, I think some practical considerations have led us to this format. And if we're in this format, it's kind of hard to say, oh, but this other province doesn't have it. So let's get rid of the bar exam. But we need to think about our context, which is we don't have some of the components that the other uh, provinces do. And and, and the bar exam was our way of kind of making it a consistent competence-based process. Gervier, you've just graduated from law school. Congratulations, by the way. And so you are part of the COVID class of 2020 of law graduates across the country who are entering this, frankly, scary economic moment. And I know that you've got an articling position with our firm, and we're very excited to have you. But I'm guessing that you have at least some classmates who are facing real uncertainty in terms of their career prospects, both for articling and then beyond. What's that dynamic been like among the current crop of law school graduates? And how does the lawyer licensing process figure into some of the insecurity that new law graduates might be experiencing right now? So uh, you're correct. So unfortunately, I am aware of some peers that have either lost placements or have seen prospective employers withdraw job postings. Graduating as part of the COVID class has been a cause of unease and anxiety for a lot of a lot of students um, or a lot of recent graduates, rather. And I will say that the lawyer licensing process in Ontario does factor into that significantly, particularly when it comes to articling. So in theory, articling is a great vehicle to provide recent graduates with practical supervised experience. However, we're well aware that articling is difficult to secure in Ontario during the best of times. And COVID-19 has revealed how precarious articling placements can be. The Law Society moved towards recognizing this by shortening the length of articling to eight months, but that might not be enough for uh, smaller employers or sole practitioners that were looking to take on an article student. What do we do about these new law graduates who have invested three years of their lives and a significant amount of economic resources, in many cases taking on huge amounts of debt, to get to the gate of the legal profession? And even if they get through the bar exams in the summer, they aren't lined up with an articling position at a, at a big firm and, and they aren't sure that they're going to be able to fill that requirement. What is the Law Society doing to ensure that we don't exacerbate some of the systemic inequities that we see in the legal profession in this period of real economic tension? The practical thing for someone who can't find a placement or who's lost their placement is there's always the LPP 
program, which is the alternative licensing pathway in Toronto. It's done through Ryerson University. So that's always an option or an alternative to articling. You know, the Law Society reduced the articling term from 10 months to eight months with the hope that that might make it seem less daunting for employers. The commitment is not a 10-month financial commitment, but rather a shorter one. The truth is, and you know, this is where my my personal views diverge from many of my colleagues, but I think there's a fundamental question about whether or not articling makes sense. You know, we had this debate a few years ago. I don't know if it's time for it again, but <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a huge fan of articling personally. I think it creates an undue barrier to entry. I think the goals of it are very laudable, but the truth is everyone's articling experience is kind of a, it's, it's a random mixed bag. You could have a great articling experience or you could not. And so I just think, you know, with our current system, it's, it's a huge barrier and it's a huge challenge. And it's, and so long as the law society believes that articling is an important criteria, I don't see them reducing it much more than eight months, even in the current climate. Understanding that this is is a point of controversy within the law society itself, do we have data that suggests that the barrier to entry that articling presents, as you described it, Atricia, manifests itself in ways that are inequitable across the cohort of each year's law graduates? In other words, is it a barrier of entry that is faced equally by everyone or equitably by everyone, regardless of their socioeconomic background, whether they're racialized or not, and so forth? So I don't know if there's actual stats on it, and I, I'm, I assume there, there is. Um, I'm just not familiar with them. But anecdotally, I know that the individuals who have challenges getting articling positions tend to be racialized. And so, you know, it does exacerbate the challenges racialized licensees face, right, if they have an additional barrier of getting articling positions. I think the, the good news is I see that the LPP program has become less stigmatized over time. So I think it's become more of a viable option for a lot of candidates. So that's great. So it doesn't mean if you can't find an articling job, you're, you're not going to be a lawyer. Revere, from where you sit and looking at the experience of your classmates and those who graduated the year before you or the two years before you and those who are coming up behind you, are these concerns that Atricia is expressing consistent with what you've experienced and that what you've seen among recent law school graduates? I would say uh, that uh, Trisha's assessment is correct. Um, finding articling, whether you're going through a formal process like the ones that take place in major cities across Canada, or you know, uh, networking and cold calling, it's it's a very it's a very uh, random process, and uh, you know there is some structure in some areas, like with the formal recruitment processes. But uh, depending on what your interests are in terms of practice, it may be extremely daunting to secure a placement. And because the experiences are so varied across uh, different practice areas, across different firms, it, it's hard to say that articling itself is an appropriate mechanism through which we can ensure entry-level competency. I know there's, for listeners who are interested, if you go on the SLAW blog, you'll find from a couple of years ago, our sadly now former colleague, Malcolm Mercer, uh, recently retired from our firm, wrote a lengthy discussion about the history of the debate around articling and lawyer licensing in Ontario. It really is 
like five or six decades of debating within the legal profession whether we really need articling. Uh, and this debate does come up over and over again. Atricia, do you think it's going to come up in a pronounced way now, given that we're going to see a lot of students struggle to find articling jobs and maybe even places in the LPP program because of COVID-19? I think I think it might. I would normally say no, because we just had this debate not that long ago. And usually we we have like a 10 or 15 year cycle before we <laughs> debate again. But I think the combination of COVID and the fact that it's a whole new bench at the Law Society right now, many of whom were not involved in the previous decision making, it might be something that could be revisited. But I, I do think there is a lot of support for articling at the Law Society right now. So I don't know if there's going to be a big appetite to revisit this issue more generally. Fair enough. What about the necessity of bar exams as well? Is there any prospect of a discussion about the role of bar exams in the future? Or is the, the position that you expressed earlier that in a province our size with as many candidates as we have to contend with each year, there really isn't another good way to ensure the basic entry-level competency that the public interest demands when we credential lawyers uh, each particular year. In other words, is COVID-19 going to lead to a debate about the future of the bar exam the way, for example, it has in a lot of U.S. states that are now moving towards diploma privilege or alternative forms of credentialing that don't involve examinations at all? I think there will need to be a discussion about the bar exam more generally, just given that the format has drastically changed during COVID, both the online format and the reduction of time. I just think that will naturally prompt a broader reconsideration about the, the bar exam. You know, so I'm going to say something that I think is really important. I would say I'm one of the younger benchers at Convocation. It's me and another bencher, Alexander Wilkes who are within the last 10 years of call or who wrote the current iteration of the bar exam. And I think this really highlights the importance of having pr the perspective of recent calls at convocation because none of the other benchers, frankly, have any experience with the current version of the bar exam. They don't even know what it's like. I find it hard to, to think that you've got a body of decision makers with there's 53 voters and 51 of them have no idea what the current version of the bar exam is like and don't really have practical experience with it. And so I think, you know, Alexander, in my opinion about the bar exam is vastly different than theirs because we have direct experience with it. You know, from, from a personal level, I'm not convinced it's the, you know, a very useful test having written it myself and, and, not found, and, not, and having not found the experience that useful in particular because I think you know, success on the bar exam, at least in Ontario, depends on whether or not you have access to an index. And, and to me, that's not a real true good measure of competence. But I think we should look at the bar exam again. I think it's it might happen just given that it's been a fundamental change. But I worry that the result will be not much difference because we just don't have representation from more recent calls who can, I think, actually challenge the paradigm. Revere, do you share Atricia's assessment about the value of what you are required to do and to learn in order to succeed on the bar exams? Understanding, of course, that we don't yet know that you have passed the bar exams. I'm making a big assumption that you will do just fine on them. Uh, but, but given that you're in the middle of them now, are you finding this to be an edifying experience? Are you, are you learning about areas of the law that you think will be useful? Are you, in fact, learning anything at all? Or are you just 
organizing information so that you can find it quickly during a time-limited examination, which is a skill that isn't totally disconnected from the practice of law, but I'm still waiting for somebody to give me my index for practice where I can find all the answers to the legal problems I have to address on a day-to-day basis. What's your experience been like, Gruvier? So let's knock on wood regarding my uh, results for both of my exams. Uh, But I will say that I think my experience is more akin to it being a tabbed scavenger hunt, as one of my friends colorfully put it on Twitter. (laughs) It's, It's a process, in particular the exams that is, where you're under such a significant time crunch and with the volume of questions we're required to answer, if you have access to supplemental aids such as a good index or charts, you're able to shave off uh, minutes at a time locating answers. And when you're conducting an exam or when you're undertaking an exam rather, that has four possible answers and you can quickly eliminate three because of a chart, that's not engaging with an individual's competence because the answer is being fed to you. You're being walked to the answer. And in in my view, based off my limited experience, uh, having summered at the firm and working at a legal clinic, it's never that easy. So I think it's a poor proxy for competence. And And I've heard that too, you know, amongst a lot of, I would say recent calls. So people who have written the bar exam recently, almost universally, I would say people have said it's really an exercise in how good your index is. So to the extent, Patricia, that Gravier and other new calls, again, I'm, I'm jumping ahead of, of yourself, uh, Gravier, and assuming that, you know, articling goes to plan and the bar exams go to plan. But those who will be new calls or are finishing their legal education or are recent calls in the last five years or so, who have a perspective on this, given that this may be a moment that the law society is forced to revisit some of the assumptions that it has made about lawyer licensing and how it fulfills the competency mandate, as I think Malcolm Mercer famously, maybe not famously to the broader public, but famously to me, has described it. Given that this might be an opportunity to have that conversation, how do we more junior members of the profession or future members of the profession participate in it uh, in a meaningful way? So I have to say there's this group that I'm very excited about, um, the advocacy that they're doing. It's the LSSO, not to be confused with the LSO. The LSSO is the Law Student Society of Ontario, and they're bringing two motions before convocation, which I think are game changers, frankly, and and much needed. So the first motion that they're bringing is they want to have representation of licensing candidates at the committee that makes the decision about entry-level competence. So the committee is called Professional Development and Competence. I sit on that committee. And they want a representative at that committee. So when we are debating things like the bar exam, articling, et cetera, they have the opportunity to provide the perspective of recent calls as experts, if you will. So that's motion number one. And then motion number two is they want to permit licensing candidates. So you know, people who are doing the articling program or the LPP program to vote in venture elections. And I think that's also really important because what I hope that achieves is number one, people who are putting their names forward to be ventures start thinking about this whole pool of voters, i.e. licensing candidates, and start taking their concerns and considerations more carefully. And B, we might see as a result of that perhaps more recent calls come forward as actual ventures. Um, it's historically ver- been very difficult for a recent call to get elected. And so I think these two initiatives have the potential to really 
to really shake up the law society and make sure that more recent calls have their perspective heard. Well, we'll leave it there and we'll let Gravier get back to his indexing or studying or whatever it is one does for the, for the bar exams these days. Thank you both very much for your time and look forward to seeing how this discussion unfolds over the coming months as we figure out what lawyer licensing continues to look like in the time of COVID-19. Thanks to you both. Thanks, Adam. Thank you. Atricia Lewis is a senior litigation associate in the Toronto office of McCarthy Tatro and a bencher of the Law Society of Ontario. Gurvir Sanga is a 2020 graduate of the University of Toronto Faculty of Law and an incoming articling student in the Toronto office of McCarthy Tatro. This has been another episode of Law in the Time of COVID-19. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and tell your friends to do the same. We also hope you'll send us your suggestions for future episodes. We want to talk about what you want to hear about. You can reach me on Twitter at at Adam Goldenberg or by email at agoldenberg at mccarthy.ca. Pour plus de contenu de McCarthy Tetro, ne manquez pas notre balado, Le droit au temps de la COVID-19, animé par ma collègue Christelle Chevalier. Law in the Time of COVID-19 is produced by Chloe Thomas and edited by Abby Stafford and Miriam Veilleur. Special thanks to Lara Nathans, Trevor Lawson, Judith McKay, Elizabeth Burks, Ali Adams, Tommy Barbieri, Kathleen Hogan, Taryn Hunter, Andrea Watson, Matilda Kramertz, and the entire team here at McCarthy Tetro. Not literally here, of course, but you know what I mean. Make sure you check out our firm's COVID-19 hub for business leaders, which you can reach from the main page of our website at www.mccarthy.ca. This is Law in the Time of COVID-19. I'm Adam Goldenberg. Thanks for listening, and please, wash your hands.